Welcome to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie Ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. Next episode of Vinyasa in Verse. How are you on this beautiful day? I hope everyone is doing well, considering the situation out there in the world. Um, Today, I have a very special guest. I have one of my dear, dear friends and superpower mentor, Lola Pickett, and she is an amazing coach, um, specifically for empaths and highly sensitive people. Um, She just works all the magic, both in science and in the little, the woo-woo stuff. So if you're looking for ways to work both of them. She is your person. Um, so I'm inviting her to the podcast. Welcome, Lola. So glad that you could be here. It's such a fun thing to connect with you in this way, Leslie. And it's, it's such a beautiful thing to watch this podcast unfold and witness your creation process. And now I get to play with you here and it's so great. <laughs> uh, I know. And so we're going to play by starting with a poem by Hafez. So I'm just going to flip the book like Wheel of Fortune. I love it. <laughs> and today's poem is called Turn Left a Thousand Feet from Here. Mm. What I really want to give you, I can't. Yet all day long, I try painting maps on the sky with bright, tender sounds that say, Turn left a thousand feet from here, just past that next hill. Then make a sharp right. As soon as you see that big rock that looks like an egg, there you will find a decent tavern. I am like a wise friend. If you come close to me, I will write down the address of the woman who will ravish you most. Hafez never wants to offend. So in anything I ever say, you can always freely switch the gender. Come close to me. I will whisper in your ear a secret about the one has made us all nuts. (laughs) I love that so much. And I love that there's a permission in the poem about you get the choice not to be offended by what I say because you can change it for yourself. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I love, I love that last part about being nuts. You know, it's like the thing that makes us crazy, you know, with, with bliss and with happiness. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if it's Daniel Ladinsky's translation that, that adds that little play to it. But um, but what I love about that poem is that there is so much play. Yes, I love it. And to me, like poetry is play. It's this like permission slip to try new sounds and words together. And, you know, if you're not following a rigid like poetic structure, hold on just a second. There's noise in the background. I'm like, why are they doing that right now? <laughs> My family, because play, because life continues on, right? They're like, Correct. pristine Correct. things here. Turn left a thousand feet from your offense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I just love, I love the permission that poetry gives us to just express ourselves and Um, it's always been one of my favorite mediums for processing my feelings and like just playing around with language so that I don't get in my little box too much because it's so easy to do like well I should write this way and it has to have this call to action because I'm a marketing person too and blah 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 and you know we need a space in our lives for something else 
Yeah, yeah. And what I love about poetry that you spoke to is this play, because sometimes, um, you know, for those of us who are quote unquote professional poets, we often get stuck in this formula of what makes a good poem or, you know, what what's the the poetic form I need to take on. But for a lot of us, it's just poetry gives us permission to express things that we can't even express normally in like concrete, linear, you know, grammatically correct sentences. Um, and so, and you're the person who like, I think is perfect for poetry because you're always playing. I am. And and so, so maybe you can speak to, to that a little bit as far as, um, how we can do that in our current situation Mm -hmm. with the global health crisis, because everyone's freaking out and. Yeah. And rightly so, you know, play is missing. It is. And it's been really healing for me. So a little background is that uh, my whole family and I got sick about three weeks ago with what they're saying was not COVID-19, but we are still, I think it was a false negative um, because we're still like dealing with kind of the the aftermath of it. And it was very intense. And so for about a week um, when I was feverish and feeling like not myself at all, there was literally no play in my mind, in my body. I didn't have any energy for like changing my mindset. I just was in it, you know? And the first sign that I was starting to come out of it was that I started to put on makeup again, <laughs> was that I started to like get out of my freaking burgundy bathrobe that I had lived in for a week <laughs> straight and like started to explore with style again. And that's one of the first ways that I think we can really take back our power in this experience is not giving into the temptation to... Um, to not show up for ourselves with the way that we're dressing. Because to me, there's so much play that's available in the self-expression that we have through style. And so um, when I need an uplift, one of the first things I do is I go like change it up. It's like, what do I need to wear today that's going to help me outwardly represent who I know I need to be inside? And a lot of times it's playful because it doesn't denigrate the seriousness of our circumstances when we cultivate playfulness. It's just the medicine that we need in order to give us the resilience to see things through and to to be with the intensity of what is. It's like, let's laugh at ourselves a little. I'm loving all the ridiculous memes that people are making because it's like, this is what we do as humans. I mean, I remember seeing um, and reading stories of children during the Holocaust who were trapped in these Jewish ghettos and people like Anne Frank who were writing and creating and creating poster collages on their walls. And it's like, this is what we do as a species to pull ourselves through hard times is we create beauty, we laugh, we invent new games. We are always looking for that spark of joy. And this is like a survival mechanism of our species. And I think it's so beautiful and so genius. And so anybody who's able to like cultivate that little bit of spark of playfulness in themselves right now and then share it somewhere, whether it's with like their partner at home who they're quarantined with and probably getting snappy with or their kids or um, online on social media. So you have that nice physical distance and aren't, you know, getting people sick. Please do not do that. Um, but this is a way for us to really like heal, um, heal ourselves through this experience so that we can hold ourselves with all the other emotions that are going to show up. Um, and it's, it's like, we need light 
and not to make light at the same time, right? It's like the light is what helps pull us through the darkness, not the bypass. Right, right. And so it's it's hard, though, to focus on the light or at least trying to reach for that or to create sparks when everyone's so entrenched in the dark and the lower vibration. And, and there's some people who are just in total denial. Yeah. So what... I don't know, like, what can you, what do you do to kind of keep that going? Because, yeah. you know, all at home and the idea of getting dressed up and you're like, but I'm home. Like, yeah. how do you get inspired and motivated to be like, you know what, I'm going to dress up like I'm going out, but I'm not really going out. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, here, I'll show you an example. So um, I woke up after like three hours of sleep, right. And just got ready for this interview. And I'm just going to show you my shoes that I chose to wear today for this, <laughs> even though I'm not standing or anyone can see them. Right. 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 Um, oh, she, she's got some shiny silver metallic stiletto heel sil- boots. I have silver snakeskin boots on that are like Five yeah. and it's, they're no joke. I mean, they're like the skinny stiletto heel. Like <laughs> They are. It's like I'm going to dinner in downtown Manhattan. But yeah. I'm just sitting here with Leslie Ann in my office. <laughs> and um, the reason I chose to do that is because one of my guiding questions that I use every single day is, who do I want to be today? And I use style and playfulness as a way for me to practice the embodiment of that without getting overwhelmed with pressuring myself to be perfect or to not screw it up or whatever. Um, And it just helps me like, oh yeah, this is who I said I was going to be today. Because every time I look at myself and you're going to see yourself throughout the day, you're going to notice what you're wearing. You're going to feel your shoes on your feet. You're going to catch a glimpse of your reflection. Um, It's like, oh, that's right. Um, and, and what I also use for this is face paint. I'm not wearing any right now. I'm kind of bummed that I don't have my face paint pen nearby so I can just toss them on. But I use that for that same exact purpose to remind myself of like, oh yeah, I'm the person who doesn't give a fork what people think and who will go out in the world once I'm allowed to again and wear face paint to the grocery store and to the library and to pick my kids up from school. And I used to I used to wear it every single day um, for about two years straight. I wore it every single day, along with fox ears and a foxtail. And I um, I would just go about my daily business with this wild costume on. And I would get this question from people like the grocery store checkout clerk or whatever. And they would say like, well, what's the occasion? Where are you going? Like, are you, where are you coming from? I'm like, oh, I'm coming from my house. And the occasion is life. <laughs> and they were like, oh, I- it's a special occasion. Oh my gosh. You know, and it was like this little spark would go off and I would see kids and they're like, Oh my God, fun does not have to die when I grow up. This is so amazing. You know? (laughs) And so I almost feel like it's my sacred mission, um, in so many ways to like be a beacon of playfulness and, and what that will do for us as beings, as we navigate these, these dark, turbulent, uncertain times. You know, it's, it's just my, my medicine and, and it's, and the, the way to make it easier for ourselves is to just make a choice in the moment to explore because playfulness really just means doing anything with no agenda, like no, um, intent to like learn or grow or evolve or, um, whatever, right? Like, right. right? Like I need to get something out of it. Well, wait, I need to be put a puzzle together. Yeah, exactly. It's like, no, the the objective is to be present with it and enjoy yourself. And it's okay to enjoy yourself right now. 
Um, I wrote a big long post yesterday about this on Facebook that, you know, it can feel like a very deep inner conflict, especially if you're empathic, to to feel your own joy and happiness at a time when so many people are viscerally and visibly suffering and dying even, right? It's like, how dare I be happy right now? How could that be possible? Does that mean I don't have a heart? And it does not mean that um, for most of us, right? Like most of us aren't taking pleasure at the suffering that's happening. It's that if we don't keep feeding and nourishing our happiness, who's going to be that spark of hope for the rest of us? You know, like if we all sink to the place of despair and fear, it's certainly understandable. But if we all stay there, there's no seeds being planted for the life that we want to co-create. There's no difference that's going to happen from being in a, a fear state. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And emotions are contagious, you know. So yeah. to decide which emotion you want to express and have people see is the thing that's gonna start spreading. That's right. I mean, like, there's all kinds of contagions that are running amok right now, and we don't have to let just the one dominate our experience. We can be, uh, as T. Gray said yesterday on one of our group coaching calls, like, we can be the algorithm. We can be the vibration and the frequency that, like, holds our species as the whole muckety-muck you know, shakes itself out. It's almost like a medicine ceremony where the the shaman is singing medicine songs, is making music, is moving around the room, is um, crafting a vision of highest good and love. And everyone in the room is like dissolving and freaking out and crapping on themselves and throwing up. And, you know, it's like a just a general chaos, right? And everybody usually in the circle is like, why did I do this? And <laughs> And the shaman knows that this is for the highest good of all. And so they keep that vibration and that frequency going while everybody dissolves and releases. And that's not to say that like this is some sort of purposeful thing that we can um, cope, <laughs> we can use as a coping mechanism to say, oh, well, it's, you know, it's for the best and highest good that this is happening. That may be true, but it's a cruel thing to say when people are in it and there is no discernment about who gets this virus and who doesn't. It's not choosing a certain population of people, right? So, you know, we want to have that that um, compassion still, even as we play. Yeah, yeah. And that's and that's that's an important thing to say because there are people who feel guilty for being healthy, for um, you know, enjoying whatever they're enjoying. You know, even if we are quarantined, yeah. people are like, Are we allowed to go outside? You know, it's like, Yeah, you're allowed to go your yard, of course, and stay, yeah. you know, at yeah. a distance. Yeah, yeah. Are we allowed to walk around the neighborhood? You are, as long as, you know, if you see other people, go across the street or whatever. Yeah. But it, it it feels out there. You know, I went um, I went and ran an errand this morning, which I already was like, should I even be going out? Um, but I needed I needed soil. You know, I need to be able to touch earth. And um, I was just thinking about how this contact with earth for me is what I need. So I had to go out into the great beyond <laughs> and energetically it felt very tense. It felt yeah. very, um, you know, should, am I even allowed to be out here? And, mm -hmm. and so I didn't have any guilt about, um, about going out and getting soil, but I felt like other people were feeling mm -hmm. that. And mm -hmm. so, um, 
it's it's an interesting pattern to notice as far as like where everyone's mindset is. And I almost felt like maybe I should have worn my big yellow flowers out into Home Depot. <laughs> maybe, right? But don't shit on yourself. Just you know, right. have them be available for yourself by the door so you don't forget right. them next time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I wore my big flowery headdress um, that I have. It's like two big giant sunflowers with like glitter in the middle and these long gold chains. It's almost like this 1920s goddess piece. And uh, I put it on on Monday for what we called airplane mode Monday at our house. And we went nowhere. We slowly explored our backyard and just like spent time getting sun on our skin and seeing what fruit trees are blossoming and watching the bees and the flowers and sitting on the ground and just being with the wind as it's blowing through the leaves and the grasses. And it was so healing. And, you know, we took some photos so that you know, social media, like you can see that I'm in my own backyard with my giant headdress on and nobody else is going to see this. Like I'm doing this mostly for me and it makes me feel like I'm getting better, you know, like after being sick for so long and having zero playfulness and zero energy and feeling, I remember sending my mom a text that, that said, I feel so defeated, you know, like I just feel like there's nothing that's going to move this through me. And like, I don't know where this is going, you know, it was very like uncertain feeling and to feel that spark of like, I'm going to do this just because, just for no other reason than um, even if no one on social media ever were to see it, like I would still do that, you know, because that's so much of a part of my medicine and it has been for so many years and I've found it to be so healing for myself. And I know that as healers, as poets, as artists, if we aren't making art for ourselves, or we're not healing ourselves, we're not writing poetry for ourselves, then we lose ourselves in the process of making that art and it loses its heart as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's um, an important point that you're making as far as creating um, to, to really express what's going on within each of us instead of trying to take care of other people because it's, it goes back to, and I say this a lot, it goes back to, and a lot of people do to putting on your own oxygen mask first, you know, to, to heal yourself first, to address whatever, um, is going on in your own body before, you know, being able to help other people, knowing that as you take care of yourself, that will radiate out and people will be inspired to help themselves. That's right. Um, you know, I just read um, yesterday, and I don't know if you saw this, there was an article, um, the headline was, what you're feeling right now, that weird, uncomfortable feeling, is grief. I saw that too, yeah. And I thought that was a really interesting, um, I don't know, I don't, I, I'm still trying to figure out how I'm feeling about that, mm-hmm. about naming whatever this is as grief. I have mixed feelings about it. So I didn't know if maybe you had read the article, you know, have any thoughts about trying to name whatever is happening right now. Well, I think naming is both wise and a coping mechanism because we want to close the loop on what it is so that we can almost like just move past it. And as a culture, this is something that we do all the time. It's like, oh, that's what it is. I'm going to like name it and then I own it. And then I can put it away and I can, I can be the one who's in charge again. And we're seeing that we're not really in charge, that there's this microscopic invisible presence that has way more power than we do. And it's confronting us at a very, very deep level. 
And there's only so much that we can do to, um, to kind of like dance with this presence and this energy. And so when I, when we name the feelings that we have, there is like some brain science behind the power of naming our emotions as far as like kind of removing the power that they can have over us. But I don't know that removing the power that they have over us is a good mechanism right now. Maybe it is, maybe it's useful. I mean, there's so many paths home, right? But to me, like it's kind of a dismissal of the complexity because our idea of grief is very one-dimensional in the society. We, when we're grieving, don't have space for any other emotion besides sadness and maybe anger. And we have this like linear process even of the seven phases of grief that we name. We try to name again. It's like naming is taming. And this is a wild time. This is a time where we're being called to undomesticate ourselves. And so is it really in our best interest as a as a species to try and tame this experience? So that what? So that it makes it feel safer for us? It's not safe. What's going to make it safer for us is our own wildness coming back out. Our own ability to forage and find food and make medicines and get creative and innovate. This is what our species is designed to do. And we've gone to sleep for mm-hmm. so many thousands of years now. Mm-hmm. And we, over time, have had these periodic events where it's like this, this call to wake up. Life is short. Life may be very long. You know, what choices are you making to be alive for your life? You know, it's like I said somewhere, I forget where, um, you know, we all know how this story ends. It's the middle that matters, right? And so we're in this real mucky middle right now where it's really asking us who who are we wanting to be and what are we wanting to build? Yeah, and it's and it's I like what you said about naming um, because I think what happens in naming it makes it concrete so that people, like you said, can have this sense of control. And we really don't have control because we don't know you know, how long we'll be self-quarantined or we don't know, you know, what the death toll might be. We don't know what's going to happen on the other side of this. Um, and so that not knowing, I think, is what's freaking everybody out. Not so much the virus as much as it is this this unknown. It's this big looming thing. And so, you know, what what do we do in this present moment? You know, yeah. I guess we'll name it something that may, uh, it may or may not be. Um but then what? Exactly. And I think the interesting, um, one of the interesting things that I've been observing about this whole experience is that there's so much of our um, sense of emotional and psychological safety that's wrapped around a, a fairly predictable future. Um, we like to make plans and we like to have those plans be the ones that happen. And right now we're seeing we can't even plan, right? Like there's, there's, there's no ability for us to anchor into a future. And I've been in this space before. When I met my husband, Tigray, we, um, we couldn't see how we could possibly have like a future with air quotes together. Like we, he was moving to Peru indefinitely. We met three weeks before his departure date. I was still in in a marriage that was dissolving and had opened up. And so I was like, I'm a hot mess. My life is totally like weird. Why would anybody who's excellent want to be a part of this? Like 
mess that I've made for myself with my toddler. And, um, and yet, because we didn't have a future, it kept us out of the pattern of projection, of future tripping, of expectations, of labeling. We didn't have a label for our relationship until like a year plus into it because he was gone for so long. Even though we were committed to each other, we didn't even have that conversation. It was like of the moment over and over and over again. And I've said this, that the only reason we had a few ha- actually created a future is because we didn't think we had one. And so I feel like there's the same invitation and opportunity for us, um, for those of us who have the emotional bandwidth to go to this space and explore it for themselves. It's like, what's the gift in not knowing what the future holds? The gift to me is the present, right? Like the present comes back to us fully online because there is no other thing for us to anchor into except for right now and right now and right now and right now. And that's all the future ever was. It's just so much clearer in this moment. Well, it's interesting you're saying that because I'm also thinking at the same time, we still have like the quote unquote real world coming at us. Like your bills are due on this date, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you have, you know, this contract to sign by this date. We need to know if you're going to commit to this X, Y, and Z that's going to start in September, you know, and it's so bizarre to me to even participate in that. I mean, I know I have to. Yes. I have to commit, like my, my oldest has to commit to her school for next year. And I'm a little bit behind on the paperwork because I'm like, sort of like, I don't know what, are we going to even have a school in September? You know, are we going to be doing this online thing? You know, like, I, I don't know. And so, um, it's a weird existence of being in between this idea of, yes, I want to be in the moment because there is no future, but then this other like tangible material world keeps coming in saying, we're just going to keep going as if things were normal. Yeah. And, and as we're discovering, like there is going to, there is no back to normal from here. Like there is probably a new normal that will come online and be developed as we go. Um, but one thing that's helped me navigate that kind of juxtaposition because it's complex, right? Like we have this deeper truth of there is no future. And then we have our human day-to-day linear-based timeline existence that says, well, but like, what about next Wednesday at three o'clock? Isn't that like what holds the world together? Right. And <laughs> like in some ways it does, right? It does. It helps us stay grounded. And um, we can't always live in the liminal because we are material beings in a material world. So um, I, got I like to... my head right now, by the way. Oh, hey, you're welcome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you're, you're, you, you can invest in an idea, in a relationship, in a, a, a vision, a plan, without being attached to it. Mm. So there's this ability that we can learn to practice to fully put ourselves forward into something, whether that's a contract or a relationship, a business opportunity, and show up for that fully without expectations that anything is going to evolve from it as we expect it to. And that, I think, is what is asked of us. It's what I, it's how I approach my marriage. Um, when we got married in our wedding vows, I said, today is our wedding day, our honeymoon, and our funeral. Mm. Because to me, having that 
presence of death, that presence of this is all going to go away at some point. You know, this is all going to change form one way or another. Um, and I'm not going to like it when it does. It's going to be heartbreaking, I hope, right? I mean, hope for heartbreak because it means we've loved well. Mm. Um, and it, it keeps my marriage alive, you know? And so I feel like with so much death happening and chaos and fear, there's this opportunity to look at it as though the end of our story is is being shown to us very, very viscerally. We're being reminded that we're temporary beings, that this form is going to pass, that there is heartbreak on the horizon. And so we can respond to that with overwhelm and denial and grief and um, freak out and anxiety and you know all those things. And also there's an opportunity to say, okay, so that's the end. Where am I right now? You know, right now I'm okay. So what do I do with that okayness? How do I be with that okayness even more importantly? Yeah. Yeah. And I like what you um, you said right in the middle is the and, because a lot of people think it's or. or. And some, and I will say that that's an old pattern that I'm trying to ha- to break, you know, because yeah. I, um, you know, sometimes talk about mindset and how you have a choice to see things a certain way or another way instead of and both yeah. ways, you know, and and what that does yeah. invites um, a layering of our experience. It doesn't have to be one way or the other. Um, it's always all the time, and <laughs> our brains can't really grok that. They can't understand that because we are necessarily limited in how much sensory data we can take in at any given moment. And so we kind of go into the binary just to like sift through everything and and make a choice, essentially like our brain makes a choice of like, this is what I'm going to let in um, because I'm getting millions of signals and ideas and inputs and energies and all this stuff. And and I will be schizophrenic and lose my mind and have a psychotic break if I let it all in. And so the brain makes these choices to say, nope, it's either or, black or white. Here's the ground. There's the sky. This is what this is. I'm not going to see the space between matter because that's way too confronting to me. My desk is solid and I'm going to have my coffee and all is normal, right? Because that's what our brain has to do so that we don't go mad with all of the insights and information. Um, so like compassion for the binary because it's a survival tool and it helps us stay, uh, in our, in our bodies and in our brains and right. It's not the whole picture, the whole truth. There's always layers of truth that are underneath these, um, perceptions. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes practice to take the time to look into those perceptions and to examine them and gently, explore them, you know, little by little. That's right. And just like slowly unravel those layers of truth so that you're not just slicing through the onion and getting overwhelmed with the like, whoa, that's like way too much, you know. Um, one of the ways that I, I, you, I love that you said the and and you picked up on that because that was one of the first big changes that I made in my life as I was waking up when I turned about 31, I guess. I was right about at that age. And I made a commitment to replace all buts with ands so that I could explore what it means to be inclusive in my language of more than one simultaneous truth. Mm. And it was a hard pattern to break. It's it's working great. I really, 
I don't catch myself saying but very often. I'll say it in my writing sometimes to provide contrast. But even then, I always ask myself, is this really a but? Or does this invite connection versus a break, right? Because but is a break. Mm. It's like a negation. Like, I love you, but (laughs) it could be like, I love you and, right? Do you feel the difference when you hear that? It's so different. And that's been a really fun game. I mean, I, I love playing games with my language all the time. It's another way that I play. And we just taught Hudson this, my son, who's 10, uh, the other day, because he was saying something to the effect of, yeah, I hear you, but... And we, we, were, we were like, okay, Hudson, so when you say but, it's telling us that you, you didn't hear us or that you don't want to hear us or you have some other thing that feels more important to you. What if you were to say, I hear you and... And so he's practicing that now. And mm. it's really cool to see his little like repatterning of hearing himself, which we don't usually do, right? We don't usually hear ourselves very well. Hearing himself, catching himself, and then like, oh, I replace that with and. And, and then he's like, wait, and then what do I do from there? Like, what is the and? <laughs> I don't really know. And so it opens the door to kind of see things differently. It's really fun. Yeah. And because it, it, it's changing the pattern, but then it's also, it's also like, wait, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because your brain is too focused on the fact that you are trying to replace this habit. And you're like, wait, I guess wait, what and- I have to say wasn't really that important if I've already forgot. <laughs> exactly. That but wasn't really valid. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and just kind of going back to the, the play thing. I love, I love that replacing the but with the and, because it, like you said, it's play with language and there's that, that play element to it, but it's, it's a fun way to change your mindset, to change your, to break your patterns. It doesn't have to be this like excruciating deep dive into like emotional, spiritual, like oh, breakdown. Whatever. Yeah. You know, I, I, um, a few mm-hmm. years ago, I, I took a course on spirituality and, um, psychology for a social work program and not that I was in social work, but I just got to sit on the class and there was this term called spiritual emergency. And I was Mm -hmm. like, that sounds intense. You know, I mean, and it's funny, I was actually experiencing that when I was taking the class. (laughs) That sounds like not, that's not fun. Oh wait, I'm experiencing that. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Wait, that's what I'm doing. But it's just, it's just, you know, if people want to explore their spirituality, if they want to start down some kind of spiritual path, that's not the way to do it. That's not to be like, hey, you know, if you go down this path, you might experience an emergency. Everything in your life is going to break apart, P.S. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how can we make it less painful? I mean, there's going to be pain, you know, yes. and, and one of my teachers, one of he loves to say uh, suffering is a choice. It's optional. Yeah, it's optional. So you can go through the pain and choose the amount of suffering you'll experience while enduring that pain. And so I think play is a good way to lessen the suffering. It, it does. And the thing about play is that it's it's been shown that this is one of the reasons why children's neural pathways generate so quickly is that play is the way that they learn. They play pretend. They you know, same like with uh, with animal cubs, you see little lion kittens wrestling and tumbling and biting each other's necks and, you know, just having a, a grand old time. But what they're doing is teaching themselves how to be hunters later in life, but they're not taking it so seriously right now because it's not time. It's not time yet. And, you know, they're, they're, 
parents aren't sitting there with a school book and a lecture and saying, now this is how you hunt in theory. Aristotle says, you know, and that's what we humans do. And it's so interesting to me how much play has been removed from childhood in the way that our society has structured itself, especially in the last like 50 years with the way that education has changed. There's less recess, less physical, physical education, less art, less music. And so we've lost this, um, this sense of playfulness, which is essential to our evolution of our brains and of development of our um, agility and thinking. You know, it's not just physical agility, it's mental agility and emotional agility as well. So I'm loving, as part of what's happening with this virus, is that so much that was structured is getting unstructured again. So we're all having to get way more creative with how we operate. It's like, it's not business as usual. You're having to do homeschool. You're having to come up with art projects for your kids or science projects, and you're busting out the coloring books again, and you're, you know, you're getting inventive. And they say necessity is the mother of invention, right? So it's like we're getting our play back if we choose to accept that opportunity. Right, right. Because there are people who will choose otherwise. They'll stay in yeah. their homes and lock into a screen yeah. um, and hope that everything goes away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? I have this idea um, because somebody was, there was an, yet again, one of these genius like memes that's going around about this time. And she's, it, it said like, I didn't know my husband was a circle back guy until he was at home doing his like video conferences for work and be like, I'll circle back, you know, that like corporate <laughs> phrase. And all I could think of was Gwen Stefani and being like, I ain't no circle back girl. And it's like, that's, that's like what I'm choosing to do with my time, having it be less rigid and having my kids home and all up in my business all the time. It's like, I don't want to be sitting here in meetings all day long and circling back with people and, you know, like. <laughs> that phrase cracks me up. <laughs> no, right? And so I, I actually have those lyrics copied and pasted into a document on my computer because I kind of want to rewrite that song for what's happening and be like, this is not who I'm going to be. So we'll see if that actually happens amongst oh, my, my many creative projects. Yeah, let's get a YouTube video and we'll be all exactly. over that. <laughs> <laughs> With my snakeskin heels, it'll be perfect. Yes, woohoo! Uh, but I, but going, you know, kind of going off of what you said about creativity is that mm-hmm. I know for me, like I'm always mindful of making efforts at play. But I know most people, most adults, are not that they they they're like I forgot how to play. You what know? does that mean? Does it mean I have to like get out Clue or Monopoly or like what yeah. is it? Yeah. And I'm like, go on a swing, you know? And, you know, um, a few years ago I, I was, um, at a playground with a friend who was very invested in play and we had so much fun on swings. And I said something to a friend of mine about us going, they're like, I can't remember the last time I was on a swing. I was like, let's go right now. Cause there's something about being on a swing that feels so freeing and it's so simple. And I think everyone just needs to go back to a swing. Make sure you just, you know, sanitize the, the chains before you get on. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You know, wipe them down, wear gloves. Um, Yeah. You know, we have forgotten how to play. And that's why I like weaving in all these different ways into my life so that I kind of can't escape from it. It's like, it's in my language. It's in the way that I dress myself. It's in the way I put my makeup together. It's even in the way I work around language in my business and my branding. It's like, all of it is a playground for me. In fact, my old brand was called Wild Playground because my 
my belief is that the more that we play, the more that we look at this world, not as like a hubristic human playground to do whatever we want to with, but that there's so many opportunities for us to revel in delight in, in the gifts of nature. You know, there's so much beauty out there right outside our door and inside our door too, right? And inside of our bodies. And, and it's, it's just right there waiting for somebody to, to see it. And the trees and plants know when they're being seen and appreciated. And when you're delighting in the texture of a poppy petal and the way that it glints in the sun, everybody knows what it's like to be seen and loved and enjoyed. And that does not stop with us humans, right? It's, it's species-wide. It's animal-wide. It's plant-wide. It's, it's common to coexistence here on this planet. Yeah. And, um, you know, that the, the swans and the dolphins came back to the canal. Yeah. Right. It was really amazing. And, uh, yeah. And I just, I just, everything that you said, I'm like, I could just listen to you all day. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's beautiful that the swans and the dolphins are back and humans are not the only beings on this planet that are experiencing mass extinction. Right. Like, we're not the only ones. We just are the, we just have this different level of consciousness about our own death and about um, beliefs around, you know, life and life after death and all of these things that get us all convoluted. But we have to, I think, remember that there's rainforests being chopped down. There's, you know, so much attrition in the number and variety of biodiversity everywhere across all the trophic levels yeah. of life. And, you know, this like hits us close to home. And so I feel like it's a great opportunity for us to level the playing, the playground, the playing field of like, oh yeah, we're just another species on this planet. It's not all about us. You know, so that's how nature can respond with our pain and our death and our confusion and our freakouts with rainbows and dolphins and clear water. It's like it's all happening at the same time, and it always was, and it always will. Yeah, and there's that and again, right? Where we've got we've got the virus and we've got you know death and we've got really sick people and this dire situation, yeah. but then we also and have the rainbows and the swans and the dolphins. Uh, And it's, and it's so important for us to take this opportunity to pay attention to that. Yeah. Uh, And I'm hoping that people are doing that. Uh, I hope so too. You know, we can only stay in sovereignty around our own experience of life. And we really do like create our own realities um, by way of our perception and the stories that we tell and the meanings that we make. And, I feel like I have hope, you know, that because this is so painful, because this is so obvious, because this is interrupting the way that we've operated as a being, that there is something changing here, that maybe this is the way that we as a species evolve, you know, is by confronting pain and death. And as awful as that is and heartbreaking. Like I said, I hope I'm heartbroken when I lose my loved ones, right? Because what else is there? Feeling numb? No thanks. Um, yeah. You know, but it's like, okay, this is how we learn. Then I'm going to choose to learn from it. 
at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. And they always say that learning is never <laughs> easy. No. I mean, if you're not, if you're not uncomfortable and confused, you're not developing new neural pathways. <laughs> <laughs> See, and there you go, bringing the science in again. That's I love it. Right. Love it. <laughs> oh, well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Mm-hmm. I love talking to you all the time. And I appreciate you sharing your knowledge, your outlook, your encouragement to play, um, especially the the emphasis on and. I really hope that listeners take that opportunity as an experiment uh, in how they're speaking and, and how maybe using and can shift things a little bit for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so... As I like to close episodes with a poem, do you have a poem you'd like to share with everybody? I do. I do. And I think it's exactly in alignment with how this conversation unfolded. Exactly. Of course. Uh, Right? Of course. This is from Rumi's Like This. Mm. And this version is by Coleman Barks. Number 110. Don't worry about saving these songs. As if one of our instrument breaks. It doesn't matter. We have fallen into the place where everything is music. The strumming and the flute notes rise into the atmosphere. And even if the whole world's harp should burn up, there will still be hidden instruments playing. So the candle flickers and goes out. We have a piece of flint and a spark. This singing art is seafoam. The graceful movements come from a pearl somewhere on the ocean floor. Poems reach up like the edge of driftwood along the beach, wanting and wanting. They derive from a slow and powerful root that we can't see. Stop the words now. Open the window in the center of your chest and let the spirits fly in and out. Mm. Oh my God. So appropriate. I'd love it. Love it. Thanks. Ruth. Oh. <laughs> Thanks Leslie Ann for this. Yes. Thank you, Lola, for coming onto the show and being such a very special guest and truly the medicine I think we all need. Uh, and for those of you that want to find her, because I encourage you to do that. You'll get so much more light in your social media feeds for sure. Um, You can find her at lolapickett.com and um, a lot more information will be in the show notes. So go check Mm -hmm. it out. And to close our episode, the divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Until Mm -hmm. next time, namaste. Namaste. Often, we find ourselves stuck, running on autopilot, knowing we were meant for more than what we've been doing, but not knowing what else to do, or even where to begin. This retreat is a good starting point to listen for what you're meant to do in this world. On August 5th to the 9th, in the serene setting of wine country in Sonoma County, California, I will lead you through a sacred space to get quiet and reconnect with yourself, where you can tune in to your intuitive voice where the sun can nourish your soul and the earth ground you into your body. This is an opportunity to realign with your true life's purpose, to remember who you are, to come home to yourself. 
Visit suryagyan.com for more information. Live your best life now.